This is Dan Clifton, and you're listening to the Mercenary Podcast. Today, we're joined by Chandler Quinton, president of IndieWhip, a marketing agency based in Providence, Rhode Island. All right, everybody. Uh, this is Matt Monahan on the Mercenary Podcast. I think this is going to be episode six. Uh, Dan you Clifton, know. is you know that it's right? Six. Yeah, that's right. All right. Yeah. Dan Clifton, you're in LA. Is that right? Are you in LA? I'm in, uh, I'm in rainy LA. Yeah. Okay. I'm in Philly. Yeah. And we're joined by Chandler Quinton, uh, who's in Providence, Rhode Island. And he is the, I don't know what your title is, but you work for Indie Whip. Uh, hey, yeah. Um, I am Chandler Quinton, and uh, I am in Providence, Rhode Island. It's actually super, super cold here. As you guys probably have seen on the news, it's like colder than Mars or something here. I just saw uh, that, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I run a company called Indie Whip. And we are a video and motion graphics uh, marketing agency. And uh, that's, that's what I do. So, Chandler, we met uh, when we both went to Drexel in Philly. And um, it's kind of funny because when I, think about, I, when I think about you and a lot of the other business that I had gotten as a freelancer uh, when I went to Drexel, it all kind of originated from the same room in uh, – was it the Pearlstein building or Pearlman or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pearl, uh, Pearlstein. Pearlstein, yeah. yeah. I don't think that building's there anymore, by the way. But yeah, it was all, it was all born there, I think. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like I, I, I knew you. I, there was a, a couple people from like MBA classes that uh, you know, I'd stayed after to talk to. And it seemed like from then on out, like after I graduated, like all of the work that I got freelancing came from someone that was in that room like and towards the end of my senior year. And I thought that was like such a weird coincidence and also like kind of demoralizing because there was so much marketing and stuff that we were trying to do to get other uh, business from from, people that we didn't know. But it it just turned out that it was like, yeah, people that we were just friends with ended up being like the best way to get uh, business. Yeah. No, and it's funny. I think about that too and and I think I – when I think back and I think we were probably what, you know, 21, 22, 23 years old and I think that there's a bunch of people – doing things uh, for people with a lot more money than them, hiring them to do crazy things. And no one really knew exactly what they were doing. So the more we could stick together and kind of push the problems onto our friends and other people that we knew, oh, I know a guy that does this or that, like, okay. Uh, You know, kind of just, that's kind of how it happens. We didn't know any better to to kind of branch out, I guess. And, you know, we used what was in front of us, which is good. It's resourceful, you know? Yeah. So, like, one one of the first projects that we did was, a like, a mobile app. And, um, I just like, the one thing I wanted to bring up was, was just like the, the structure of responsibility for the the project was so, was so (laughs) distributed (laughs) that it was like, how could this possibly work? Like in retrospect? Yeah. You get, you got to give a little backstory to, uh, to Dan and and the rest of the people that are probably like, what are these guys talking about? Yeah. Um, Well, 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 first of all, I was going to say that it's funny about like meeting people. It's almost like the, uh, it's all the companies that are called floor five, films or uh or 315 because it's, it's all clearly like the freshman dorm room it's like the person <laughs> that you met five and a half minutes into move-in day on freshman uh freshman year you started a company with that obviously will flame out later but <laughs> yeah. it's like but it's all those people who i mean definitely for me you know i'm not gonna completely talk shit on nyu because uh i had um a good experience there, but I think of NYU more of as a as a primordial soup in which there are a lot of driven and interesting people rather than being a good university, if that makes sense. Like it collects the best and the brightest 
uh, bugs towards the flame rather than sort of creating them. But right. um, yeah, all the people I knew first two years at NYU, I still work with, and I still uh, in sometimes in much different capacities than when I first met them. But uh, yeah, that's that network lives on forever. Yeah, no, it totally does. And uh, you know, I will be the first one to admit. Uh, sadly, um, you know, I don't. I don't really keep in touch with many people from college. Only people that I've either worked with or respect professionally. Only because there were so many different people at our school that were in different directions. That you know, it's easy to lose touch for one, but for two, you know, uh, I, I really value people that are worth my time, whether it's professionally or or personally. And it's one of those things where you know, if you connect with someone. Even if it's not professionally, you'll you'll try to keep that bond. And I think as you grow up, that becomes less and less of a of a thing. And you know, it's kind of sad to think about. At the end of the day, I probably only have like five or six college friends I still even keep in touch with. But you yeah. know, it, it happens. Um, but anyways, so so Matt, <laughs> um, I, you know, yeah, grilled cheese creative. Uh, we ate a grilled cheese together. Let's let's call our company that. Um, <laughs> uh, so so I think the first time you and I worked together. Um, was probably one of the most, probably the most responsibility that I've ever had as a as a young professional who didn't know what I was doing, and probably you as well because yeah. and you'll you, I definitely want to hear your side and how the structure of what you guys had going on, but this kind of leads into something that we talk about so often and we've talked about then we talk about it now is the freelancers versus like contractors versus team and all that stuff and I think that. Um, a lot of people starting businesses and especially Dan, you know, you're in the film space now, um, or you've been for a long time and I'm in it now. And, and that's kind of a topic of a conversation that I have all the time because, you know, hiring DPs and hiring gaffers and, you know, sound design people, or are you going to have them in house and build an agency out of it? And that's kind of what we're doing. So we could probably go back and forth on that all day. Cause my perspective has changed on that probably every month since I've been doing this for different reasons. And uh, yeah, mine flips as well. Mine flips, uh, pretty much consistently, especially with the kinds, like if you're making four or five, I mean, I might be making eight or nine movies this year, which is going to be insane. Like getting back, I sort of knew what it would be before the break, but now getting back, and sort of seeing how things are shaking out. It's like, holy shit. So there's always the, we'll get into the temptation to lock people up on sort of long-term sweetheart mm-hmm. deals versus, you know, filming, filmmaking in general is, is sort of a freelance, you know, it's like this DP's working on this, this editor's on this. So there's, there's always a impetus maybe if you have a lot of stuff going on to create this mini studio system. But anyway, we'll get into that. But what was the yeah. what was the what was the app that you guys were making? What what do you what the, what the hell are you guys talking about? What's so, <laughs> so I was um, when I was in uh, I think it was my last year in undergrad, and I went to grad school at Drexel as well. I was there for a while. Um, I helped start a agency um, that built websites and apps and kind of digital marketing, and it all you know that whole how that started is kind of an accident and this and that, and you know just. You know, one of those stories where, it, you know, it probably has changed so much over my years and years of telling it that, you know, it doesn't matter at this point. But anyways, so my agency was probably like five people. It was uh, a front-end developer, back-end developer, a heavy development person who could do a little bit of everything. And me, I was a, I was a biz dev guy. I was pretty much selling the dream, selling the ideas and, you know, uh, building the relationships. And... Um, I ended up winning this client in New York who is a huge uh, publisher. They have a technology that basically connects publishers like People Magazine, like those types of online properties, and puts ads on them. And somehow my client 
won the business for Consumer Reports, and they were tasked to build the Consumer Reports app. Um, and the Consumer Reports app, as you can imagine, um, has you know thousands and thousands and thousands of products uh, that are supposed to be in it with reviews and all sorts of things like that. So this company, who is essentially a mobile publisher ad platform, gets tasked with building technology for Consumer Reports, which to me, thinking about it now, makes zero sense because Consumer Reports is supposed to be the consumer advocate, do a lot of research before you buy things. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it didn't seem like they really investigated uh, you know, who was building their app because this company isn't known for building apps or anything like that. They're known for their ad placements and, and publishing, which Consumer Reports wasn't really uh, engaging with them in that side of the business. So I won that project, and uh, at the time, we... Uh, didn't have uh, in-house mobile development, which is hilarious because we went, hey, yeah, we'll build your apps for you. Um, okay, well, what do we do now? Um, <laughs> how do we build a, a great these case <laughs> of uh, A great case of fake it till you make it. Uh, yeah, yeah. On this edition of fake it till you make it, which is a great, <laughs> a, a great been, strategy I, I fully propose. Uh, yeah, I've been, I, def, I believe in that hardcore. We can get into that <laughs> later, but fake it till you make it is how things get done. Um, so, you know, I think, I don't know how I heard that Matt was running, um, a dev shop and how, I don't know how I heard that they were doing mobile apps and everything, but the challenge was, it wasn't just like, Hey, I need an iOS developer to make this happen. Or I need, Oh, I need an Android developer. The client wanted both. They wanted, um, essentially, uh, cross-platform apps. So, you know, we develop it once and it lives on both platforms and it sounds great on paper and the theories of, how that stuff works. Uh, yeah, it it a, sounds great. It was a really easy sell. and We were just like, yeah, we can do this in, uh, in this one framework. Uh, and that was Sencha. And <laughs> Sencha's uh, dot one. It, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was so early on in that technology that I, I don't – oh, man, it's just crazy to think about how stupid of a decision that was for us to even do this project. <laughs> Yeah, and from our, our our side, it was just like, you know what? We're going to go for this. This is like the biggest client that we have, we've ever had, and we're going we're gonna to make it work, like regardless of what happens. Um, and that was kind of like the way we ran things. It was just like, it was like, you know what? If, if we're late on something or if a client's upset, we're just going to play through it. We're going to play through the pain, and then we're going get, to get it done. And like that is a, is a strategy that absolutely works. Um, for for like it's uh, unless you you uh you just run out of people <laughs> to go through that on like <laughs> there are there are companies that have been made that do exactly that like their clients are continually like let down they uh the either the technology doesn't work they're late but the the company just plays through the pain and then they either do work with that company again or they find another one and since the the work is done it's it's very easy like once you have like a great um uh, kind of like company to put on your resume, you can get another one, and that was that was something that I, I it's not my style, but it was our style at the time because we were just like a small scrappy company with cash flow problems that uh, <laughs> needed to get mm-hmm. money through the door, and we were we were trying to do as innovative uh, stuff as we possibly could. Would you guys cate- uh, categorize this as the not afraid to burn bridges uh, policy? Is that sort of like what you're? It's like you're just gonna do. Not like completely selfishly, but you're going to work through it to the point where you're going to do it sort of what's best for for the company uh, rather than the client 
the, 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 the customer is not always right. Like you're, you're going to do what's best. Yeah. And, and if you and burn the bridge, then you're going to move on. It's nice thing. to have like a balance of that. Like you want your customers to be happy. Like that yeah. was, that was something we really want. Like, but at the same time, um, like there were some times where we just needed to make really hard decisions where it's like, are we going to make this customer happy or are we not going to have any money? And it was just like, all right, <laughs> yeah, we got to have some money. It, yeah, that was a you know at the end of the day in same in you know it's the same now in the in the film and motion graphics three D space whatever you know your your clients want what they want and you can either have the mentality of you know the yes mentality of giving them exactly what they want every single time or the mentality of you know we got to kind of be flexible for a number of reasons you know a level of difficulty the time it takes if there's existing deadlines. But at the end of the day, you're you're supposed to be a professional in whatever your whatever service you're providing, and you should if you can't sell your professional recommendation and kind of win on pushing back on certain things, then you should maybe uh, take a step back and look at how you approach things because you do want to make the client happy, but at the same time, you do want to be a professional in the space. So you yeah. have to you're you're definitely going to piss someone off for, along the way, um, and I've gone through this recently with some projects here um, at our agency. And at the end of the day, when you make that re- uh, recommendation, you stick to it. And even if you do it without, you know, the, them saying, "Oh no, don't do that," and you do it anyways, you know, I would say, and I don't know if you guys have a different percentage, but I would say ninety percent of the time, or even ninety-five percent of the time, uh, the professional recommendation was correct. The client ends right. up realizing it. It's just, it's and then they love things. you after. Yeah, that. and then they love you. Yeah, it's all about. It, it's very hard to sell something that you can't see or show or anything like that. So when you're talking about these app projects that are months and months and months long, it's really hard to sell them on a, an approach or, or a way you're going to do things if you can't show them. And it's one of those things where if you can just get to that finish line, if you can just get to that first draft or the prototype or whatever it may be, um, then it's like then they'll see. And like that's so hard to get to. And and that's kind of that's kind of what I'm really good at is selling that imagination and, and having – you know, I don't want someone to fill in their own gaps in their head. I want to fill the gaps in for them because that creates a lot of problems, as you know, Matt. When someone someone doesn't understand something, someone's not on the same page as you, that could spiral into some craziness that you just can't get out of. So yeah, I think it's tough. professionally, uh, that project in particular, but just that time in my career was a time where it's just like, when you think that you're on the same page with somebody, you're probably not. Like, you, <laughs> yeah. you need to like nowadays. Like I ask so many questions that it sounds like I know nothing about what I'm doing because I'm asking so many stupid questions, and I'm doing it because I'm like I'm just like I I can't assume that that we agree on the same thing. Like I write definitions of stuff in my project plans, so I'm just like when I use this word, this is exactly what I mean. And and even then it's it's tough. Like and even then yes. yeah. If I had a dollar for every time I wrote an email that said, "Well, and in just to review for the sake of full clarity in this situation, <laughs> I'd probably have like nine dollars." I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. Actually, I hate when people say that because like, you'd have like ten nickels. You wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. But you. But like yeah, it's like and just to be absolutely clear, after having said all of this, here here's yeah. exactly the timeline I'm speaking about and what what we're actually talking yeah. about. And with with you, Dan, you know, when you're making a film or when I'm making a commercial, you know, when I go and pitch my idea, I see it in my head. I can literally see the commercial finished in my head when I'm talking about it. And 
the fact that the other person on the other side of the table is not connected to my brain somehow and can't see it the way I see it, they're seeing it their own way. And that distance between where they are and where you are, it could be very close or it could be miles apart. And it's the same thing in any other industry, uh, you know, digital or, or what have you. And, and that's a dangerous space. And I think trying to close that gap is something that we all, the three of us, and, and more struggle with all the time because that gap can make or break a project. You know, when you ha- yeah. when then you know you sell the idea and then you show them the storyboard and they're like, "Oh, uh, I wasn't expecting this," or you know, that doesn't make sense. You're like, "No, but it does." We totally talked about it. Like we're on the same page, right? You know. Oh uh, um, yeah, I mean, like, well, let's get into the genesis. Let's let's explore that, right? So let's get into yeah. the genesis of of app making versus media creation because I came up through the commercial world after NYU and then. Um, I always wanted to make uh, features and, and more narrative uh, storytelling, but I came up for the commercial world, so I'm familiar with that process. To me, whether um, uh, for a feature film, a narrative film, or a TV show, or even a commercial, there are still times where directors I know have to audition for studios or for agencies, and they board the entire commercial. Sometimes they board the entire film, or they do a rip a reel of the entire film to get jobs. And that at least is a little bit tangible. There's a little bit of a gap there that you have to – there's a leap of faith there. But to me, that's a little bit tangible. Now, what I know nothing about – well, we did Credit Scout, so I wouldn't say we know nothing. But um, what I know very little about is what the the leap of faith between creating an app and expectations seems way bigger than media, as I just laid out. So what is the genesis of that process – and how do you explain to people sort of what your goals are and what you're trying to do? You know, at least where I say, because now I'm on, I'm on your side now rather than Matt's side. And I, you know, I was on Matt's side for a number of years. And to me, the process isn't really, um, it's not really different, actually. And a lot of people go, oh, how did, why did you go from making digital stuff to making films? And, and um, I was like, you know what, to me, it's the same thing. At the end of the day, A, it's the relationship business. And B, you're just selling uh, imagination. And it's the same thing with an app. You know, when, when you go and sell a commercial and you, you, the idea is born and you storyboard it out and everything like that, and the same thing in the digital space, you're, you know, you're creating a scope of work, which is essentially your script, if you will. And then you're creating your, um, your storyboard or your information architecture documents. And I'm probably way dated on that map, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing as a storyboard uh, in the film world. And then you kind of go through the process from there. And I know that, you know, digitally now there's all sorts of different things that people do. You know, they'll build a clickable wireframe or, or something like that. I don't even know if they still do that, Matt. You'll have to tell me. Yeah. Um, and then in our world, Dan, we'll do, like you said, we'll do a reel. We'll do some test shots. Um, maybe we'll, uh, you know, I do, I actually do a lot of test shots and we'll, sometimes we'll come up with the concept and actually make our own version of it, um, to kind of show, Hey, this is kind of what we're going for. What do you guys think? You know, something, you know, rough to just show. So it's the same kind of thing on both sides. I just think on the film side, uh, you're dealing with a lot more creative interpretations and a lot more, um, uh, imagination that needs to be filled in. And then in the app side, I think people are familiar enough with apps and enough people have built them and you've used so many of them and it's part of your daily life that it's a little bit easier to fill in some gaps on uh, on the app side. And Matt, I'm curious to see if that process has changed and what your thought is on it. Because to me, it's exactly the same. I mean, I don't have any technical experience. I've never, you know, the amount of code I've written in my life is embarrassing. And uh, the amount of times I've operated a camera is embarrassing. I just sell the ideas and, uh, yeah. you know, drive, drive the, I think, you know, I think there's a, home. there's a dichotomy between um, 
kind of like marketing, either like marketing websites or marketing apps. Like apps where the, the main uh, success metric is just getting people to look at it and getting people to engage with it. And then there's the job to be done, kind of like someone, this is part of someone's workflow. Uh, so I think at Jarvis, a lot of the stuff we did was, was more marketing based, where there's so much creative, like it's, the aspect of, of, of creative is so much bigger. Um, so that, which makes it a lot harder because it's a lot harder to argue about that because it's really just like, well, this is what I think and that's what you think and I think you're wrong. And it's like, I don't think we ever, like, it was very difficult to, to give evidence as to why we were correct, especially because we were such a small company. So it's just like, well, you've clearly never done this before. Um, so why should I think that you guys are, are correct with your opinion? Um, it also seems like, not to interject, but it seems like, and I know you hate the term Wild West. Matt hates the term Wild West <laughs> to describe as, as a comparative. It just wasn't a wild place. <laughs> he, Matt, Matt doesn't think the Wild West was, was really wild, and he'll go into great detail about why that's the case. But it seems like when you guys – I won't use that example. It seems like when you guys were creating this stuff in, say, like 2009, 2010 or whatever, it was sort of like the Cretaceous period of, of, uh, of app creation. Like you said, yeah. Consumer Reports wanted an app. They knew they need to have one, but they were they weren't sure why. Yeah, they, so, yeah, you're totally right. It was like it was so early on in the game that it was it was the wild west because no one really knew. <laughs> like there wasn't best practices at this time. You know what I mean? This is when people were yeah. creating best practices, which is interesting because you know when I my first job in the marketing space, I was at Razorfish. I was a strategist on on co-op, and I stayed a little bit longer there. Um, and co-op is, for those who don't know, it's like an internship you get paid for at Drexel and Northeastern. A lot of schools are doing it now. But I was there, and I was I was there when the App Store first came out. And, you know, these big brands that uh, uh, Razorfish represented, like Audi, of course, they want an app. They don't know what they want. They don't know what apps can even do. They're just, we want one because it's the new place to be and everything like that. So I was so early, in Matt as well, we were so early in the app space that we were there before the app store even came out so we were literally just exploring as we were going along you know like we had no idea it was five feet in front of us because the next day and this actually happened i think during our app uh uh creation together was there was an ios update it was like maybe from ios 3 to ios 4 something like that and it totally broke everything or something crazy like that happened yeah, some like, sort of update we had no, we, we didn't spec this out like what this could happen yeah we <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No one knew that that stuff was possible. Or even like, and, uh, it takes two weeks to get into the app store. Like, what? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there were so many things that were just would just crop um, into the project, pop up, and no one would expect it. It was like, and it was like seriously encountering a wild animal you've never seen before that you don't know if it's friendly <laughs> or if it's going to attack you. That's every single thing that was happening in the industry as a whole was affecting us on the smallest level. And it's just so funny. A little app update that, like, it fixes the Wi-Fi issue on the iPhone, you know, 3S or whatever, 3GS, would broke our entire app. And now, now it doesn't work on Android because there's, like, 10 new Android screen sizes out there. It's just so stupid. Yeah. And it, it the was... Wild West. <laughs> I love that term. It's so bad but so true. Yeah. We had, you know? we had no idea what to even expect. And I also wanted to bring up, like, since you had Consumer Reports going through an agency that was going, you know, subcontract- subcontracting to you guys, and they were subcontracting to us, you know, if it, I was basically ultimately responsible for like the day-to-day uh, progress that was made on this on the uh, app, and the fact that we had so many other projects going on, like obviously, like 
didn't help at all and was like a main reason we were ever late on something. But right. I will say that anytime there was a question, like maybe something that wasn't in the wireframes that we had. So we had like really high fidelity wireframes. Like someone had basically made the screens uh, in Photoshop and gave us like probably the best the best information architecture we had had ever uh, um, up until that, that time. But at the same time, it's just like we would get to a screen and be like, well, uh, I think you'd want to do this on this screen. And it wasn't in the wireframe. And then it was just like, well, can we just make this decision ourselves? Or, shit, do I got to call Chandler, who's got to call somebody else, who's got to call somebody else? And they're going to wonder who I am. And then they might want to talk to the developer. And the developer, and like, it was just like they're five levels removed. Yeah. And it was, it was just bad. like, uh, you know what? I don't want to get into all that. Let's just make this decision and hope it doesn't bite, in the, bite us in the ass. And then, of course, it does. <laughs> and yeah. we all look stupid. And it's just like, ugh. Yeah. No, I mean that just in that story in particular, it's just so funny because you're right. There were so many levels. It had to go from you guys to us, to, to me, to my developers, uh, to them, to the client, to the client, to consumer reports. And then at consumer reports, there was like 10 levels of, you know, people that it had to go through. And that, that like the time it took for one thing, it was like a game of telephone it went from when yeah, one who knows thing what, went what on I the other said, side. If it actually ever made it to whoever was supposed to make the decision, they're probably like, what? We, we call this we call this a whisper down the lane problem. We yeah, can add that to yeah. our uh, our uh, our list of uh, of mercenary terms. <laughs> uh, but yeah, whisper down the lane is when uh, is exactly the situation you're describing. When and especially well, whisper down the lane combined with a chain of command confusion, which is also what you're talking about. Then then you're totally fucked because. Uh, you don't have chain of command, and everything's changing faster than you can keep track of it. So yeah, it's like it, it, seems... and it's like of course there's a delay because if you want to initiate that that like that whisper down the lane, that could take like three or four days. Meanwhile, the developer's like, "Well, do you want me to keep going?" And I'm like, "Ah, is there anything else you <laughs> yeah. can keep going on?" And she's like, "No, yeah. this is it. That's the worst one one day in in the film world. Uh, I I totally understand it now more than ever. It's like." One day of of waiting on something could be a week in production. It could be two yeah. weeks in production. I mean, it could be detrimental. And the thing is, too, is uh, clients, whether both industries, every industry, no one ever changes their deadlines. You know, they, I need this by June fifth because we have an event or something, and they'll take two days to get feedback uh, back to you or things like you know that affects the whole thing. And your you know your sixty day timeline now turned into forty because it took three days for someone to get a decision back to you. It's 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 the worst, and it's it, I don't I don't know how that's ever going to change. It just doesn't it doesn't happen. You know, it's just I've never seen an improvement in that since we started any type of marketing ever. Well, marketing's different. I mean, for me, um, and I've I've worked for I've worked for agencies. Obviously, Chandler, we haven't worked together, but I've worked. Um, I have a commercial production company that Matt and I actually started, I think, eight years ago um, that still does a lot of work. Uh, I do stuff for Skype and for Microsoft and, and some other clients and usually subcontracted, which is another fun thing we'll get into. But, um, you know, that those deadlines are always very fast and have to be done, you know, within a week. And there's always some crazy event. But I think for for film, I think it's all about vertical integration of deadlines where it's like, we know that Europe will take a month off in August. So if we don't have this loan closed by, by July 25th, the movie ain't happening in September. So let's not pretend it's going to happen. You know, it's like, and I, uh, and there's some stuff that, that I'll be doing in September and October of this year that 
that we need to have it done in June or July if we want it to happen then because we've had you know there's been things where suddenly you get into is this going to happen um you know can this happen on this schedule so it's really about I think it's just being honest trying to be honest with yourself about when things really need to happen by and Wait, I mean, putting in more work earlier so that it's not a shit show later. Yeah, what know? I do is just I'm extremely pessimistic about timelines. So and like I do that intentionally. So like I find I try before we do a project, I try to think of every possible thing, not only that could go wrong, but just like here's all the things that we we know we need to do, and get a timeline on that, and then I multiply that by like three or possibly four. Actually, I multiply it between three and five based on uh, how good my team is or at least or at least how uh how how well their their domain knowledge applies to the to what we're doing so it's like a lot of front-end work and i only have like one front-end developer then like that might be a you know a five multiplier but if i've got like people that are specifically have skills on on that and they don't have to learn anything then i can bring it down to three but it's still uh-huh. it's just like yep uh we we know all the things we need to do are going to take five weeks so it's going to be 15 weeks and that really rubs people because it's just like what, like how do you know how do you know it's gonna be fifteen weeks? And it's just like you have like the unknowns are the stuff that takes the longest. Yes, yeah, yeah. totally. And I, I now I have a question, Matt. So um, at at your company now, when people engage with you guys and you have projects to do, um, is it is it project based where like people have deadlines and you have you have to get things done at a certain time? Because I mean. When we were in, when I was running the agency in Boston, um, doing webs and websites and apps and everything, the client was always, you know, telling you when things were due. And yeah. um, I don't know if it's the same with you now. It's the same thing here. When we work with the brands, like you know, we worked with the NFL, Extreme Networks, we've worked with a ton of startups in the in the Boston area and VCs and um, Edelman and just you know companies like that. They all they they'll tell you the deadline and. It's almost like okay. I, mean, I expect that at this point. I expect a client to tell me when something needs to get done, and pushing back just doesn't work because a lot of the videos and commercials that we do are based off of events or trade shows or announcements that you know millions and millions and millions of dollars are riding behind. Right, right. You know, so at the end of the day, we can't. I have zero control over over that whole situation. So that that kind of transitions into the, how you run the company. Uh, in getting things done and that can go into our freelance versus in-house you know type thing because that's a whole another set of control things that you actually do have control over but i don't know if it's is it the same with you at, at rj like with people giving you deadlines saying hey it's, i need it done by this date and then they just I like think, ignore the fact that you say it can't happen so previously in, the, in like the last couple of years um we've we've either had did not have deadlines like that was kind of the way we we were um when i first started like about three years ago and then we started imposing internal deadlines, uh, which were completely like all of our deadlines are completely decoupled from any money making uh, opportunity. So like we're not it's not like if if we lose or uh, let's say if, if we miss this deadline, someone's not going to pay us like that's that's never the case. Uh, whereas in the kind of like agency world, when I was at Jarvis, it was exactly that. It's like if we miss this deadline. We're not going to get that check that we're waiting on. And so we have to like we have to stay up all night for a week straight if we're behind. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. The way I, I like it at, at RJ is that there is, I mean, there's always a sense of urgency. We're trying to grow as a startup. 
Um, it's not it's not always completely clear as to, like there's if we get this one thing done like uh, it's gonna have like some crazy effect on the business. It's kind of like everything has to come together. So I don't I, the th- one thing I, I do like uh, is that we're never really really like putting in all nighters to get something done at a, a certain time because I feel like that just burns people out and then you and you can there's you can always justify doing it. <laughs> so like eventually people just get really stressed out. So what I like to do is just have like firm, constant pressure that is not burning people out. So it's just like, we should never be lazy, but there's this deadline that we really, really want to hit. It's, it, there's no real consequence of, of, if us going over, but I want to, I want to nail this because, uh, just for like a, a sense of company pride that we got stuff done and we've, we've got plenty more things to do after that. So like, we better hit our our deadlines. But that, that, that said, we change stuff. Like we'll be two months out, and we will realize, like you know, this is taking a lot longer. So let's push that deadline back a month. And there's no real consequence to that other than just being like, oh man. Uh, but anyway, so we were just kind of like, all right, well, this thing's going to take about four months, and probably about two months in, we we're like, no, it's probably going to take more about eight months total because we're we're doing a lot of migrations. Uh, so, like, anyone who's using the old charts, uh, we had to migrate those charts so they could use the new thing. And we were doing it continuously. And that took up a lot of time. So, not only, like, there was an aspect that we were greatly improving the user interface, but we also, we didn't want any current client to just be, like, left out uh, in the dark um, with stuff they'd already created. Because we, we didn't want to tell them, hey, you know all that stuff that you kind of rely on? If you want to use the new thing, you have to recreate it. And that was... Uh, that was a hard that was a hard decision to make, but one that ultimately was probably good. It's like I know you like this. I know you like this because yeah. you pay for it. We're, we're going to change it completely now. So just just deal with yeah, it. Yeah, and the That's thing was it. is that like the the project I, I, was I'd a huge pissed. success. I'd, I'd be I'd be pissed, but yeah. like we we made we had success metrics basically basically like the time to analysis had to come down drastically, and in, in cases like it came down like absurd percents, like a thousand percent. Um, so if, if there was something that took you 30 minutes and then you brought it down to like three minutes, you know, that's like a drastic reduction in, in time. And that means that like we could go after customers that previously were just like, I can't spend 30 minutes on this. Like this is, this is outrageous, but three minutes is tolerable. Um, Mm -hmm. and basically throughout the entire thing, like as a product manager, it's, you're just constantly gauging like, all right, what are the unknowns that are cropping up? Where are we? Uh, in terms of the of the business, or like terms of, in terms of the project, and what was really great is like because we have a, a data visualization tool, we can test and we can show in in charts how well we're doing on the project, uh, which is something we, I had never I had never really done before, and it was like how could we have done this project without this? So I had a burn down, but not really a burn down chart, but a chart that just said here is all the the um, ch- the older charts. The legacy charts that we um, can support in the new thing, and here's how many we're unsure of, and here's how many that are left that we know we can't support. And you could tell, you could show the whole company. It's just like here's the progress we made every single week on this. You could see this thing's going down, and you could start to plot like, all right, well, we're going to be done sometime in July, uh, as opposed to maybe sometime in like May when we, when we originally like spec it out. And if we didn't have that, if we didn't have all those metrics. It would be like chaos. People would be like, why is this taking so long? Like, when is this going to be done? Uh, it seems like you guys just keep pushing off the date. Um, 
and and that can that can turn a pro- like a project that's actually going pretty well uh, into a disaster. Oh, Do you ever yeah. have people who uh, who like you have users who really like one feature that then just gets kicked to the curb that then leave or I mean that's obviously like a yeah a pretty constant. There's always imagine cost of doing business right. Like I think we've been pretty privileged in that the stuff the big projects that we've done have been so obvious in their value that for the most people are like yep that's exactly what we wanted. Um, Here's five other features that you might want to add to that. But there's always the people that are like, oh, no, I like the old thing better. And for the most part, when you talk to them, they're either they just need a little bit of time with it or they they weren't as enthusiastic about their uh, about about being upset about a feature. Uh, yeah, it's able. like when uh, it's like when they update Facebook yeah. layout and everyone complains for like literally forty eight hours online. Every status is like, "Screw this! Bring back the old Facebook." There's like petitions yeah. and all that stuff. And then three days later, everyone forgets about it. They're they're on the new system. They're sort of kind of liking it, and then they'll just complain the same exact way when it changes again. And it's funny because it's like you know you don't really know what you want until. What is that Steve Jobs quote? You know, until you see it, until you have it, you don't know you want it. So I imagine when you change something drastically for a customer, I'm sure you guys have good communication. Hey, here's the new feature. Here's how I use it. I'm sure you guys do all that because that, you know, as a product company, that's that's what I would expect. That's something where, yeah, we've been like trying to get way better at. um, Yeah. At at just knowing when to tell people that new stuff is out, uh, like doing it the right time with the right amount of documentation. Um, knowing what people are like afraid of, it, and it's it's really difficult because you're just like, oh man, maybe we should, maybe we should roll this out like slower. And then other people, as soon as they saw it, were just like, no, get this out here immediately. I need this right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've, like, I guess our weakness has been possibly that we'll roll roll things out slower than we need to, um, and also communicate in a way that's that's like, perhaps like. I, yeah, I guess that's uh, it's also just slower than we need to, or just saying like, here's like a little taste of this, and then we won't hear you won't hear from us for like uh, a month or something like that. So we're we're starting to get better at at just being like, here's the raw thing, it's out right now, and every single day we're gonna roll out some new improvement to it, like every day, and it's and each improvement you're gonna be psyched about. And we started doing that in like the summer after we rolled out like the big thing, and we're we're starting to go on a another project that's like about of similar magnitude but we're going to do it a little differently where it's just like this is out today and every single day there's going to be something cool that's that's added to it and your and your job your day is going to get way better because you're going to do stuff way faster yeah i I mean putting yeah putting out fires i mean you're always going to have to put out fires and so i feel like it's a dichotomy of would you rather drip feed updates that people are still going to have issues with or would you rather just try and put out something that's maybe you know 90 percent there knowing that people are still going to have issues with it regardless but at least at least your energy will then not be spent chasing the tail of updating all of the tiny updates rather than trying to update like the real thing kind of thing um ripping off the band-aid is uh yeah is i was I gonna use that yeah. yeah i was gonna use the ripping off the band-aid I, reference, i'm a big, but I'm, I'm a I, big fan of that i'm like a big fan of just being like you know it's just gonna upset some people in the short term but it's it's gonna get it's it's going to get out there and it's going to be faster and the majority of people are going to be psyched. And I think at RJ, we're really privileged to have the kinds of users that really do understand. Like a lot of them are, are fairly 
like technically minded or you know they're making their own apps so they like understand what it's like to have to have this kind of business and uh everyone's pretty savvy too like so we don't we don't get the like uh of uh, this whole company's using ie6 and you have to yeah like that never ever <laughs> yeah. happens like we don't we we don't even do a whole lot of testing in like old versions of ie at all well, I imagine that uh, you get a lot of your ideas for features and stuff from customer feedback anyways, and you know they have to be smart to have good feedback. So you guys are probably definitely lucky to have those kinds of yeah. um, customers that, that you know pay for you guys um, and, and do that whole thing, which is completely opposite from what, what Dan and I do when you have clients who don't know what they want or people, you know, marketers that don't know how making commercials go or making motion graphics goes and it sucks. It's different in the product space. I'm definitely jealous of, uh, of that situation. Cause to me, I would love to delight, uh, customers on, uh, one set of things all the time and can constantly make it better. Cause that's a great challenge. Um, and as you know, in the marketing space, you're doing different things all the time. It's never the same, yeah. um, which is a little bit tougher. So it's, it's yeah, definitely it's, cool to have one project. Like I've worked on the same projects or you know the same product for the last three years, and it's cool to to just think back and like whoa, like three years ago, that was like <laughs> nowhere near how good it is today. Yeah, and, that's that's cool to be able to build something like that. I think, I mean, for me, uh, circling back a little bit to deadlines and other stuff. Like whenever you you finance a movie, you um, you know there's a movie we did. Uh, you know, closed the loan and got it going, I think around Labor Day of last year, and then it shot in October, November, uh, you have what's called, you know, a hard delivery date, um, which is when everything needs to be, the film needs to be finished and, and delivered by, and that's going to be, you know, November of this year. So you know that you have to finish everything by that date, and the bank and the bond company, which is sort of a larger insurance policy for you finishing a product What's so funny about films is they're very subjective about how, you know, how good something is, how good a performance is, how good the writing is. But there is a um, they're full with a lot of objective clauses in how they're actually financed and sold. You know, it's it's there's a process called QC, which is quality control, which is, you know, a very objective. Is this in focus? Is this not? Although it's filled with subjective stuff. But, you know, you have to finish the thing by the delivery date. And so a lot of times you're working on, you know, five or six movies at the same time in various degrees of uh, completion. And you know that you're working towards a hard delivery date where if you don't deliver everything by then, uh, you're going to get sued. And then you're going to get sued again. And then the movie will be taken out of your hands by the bank yeah. and that financed it. So, like, that's... And and that that never happens because you um, you deliver the movie way ahead of that time and you have your shit together. But yeah, the, the nature of like pushing back deadlines, like you push back deadlines throughout the process of making a movie, whether it's like deliver a cut here, maybe we'll deliver it a week later. We're gonna lock picture here, maybe we'll be two weeks early. But yeah, the whole nature of like not hitting the final deadline is like, you know, that's sort of insane to me. But. Um, <laughs> It's the same thing, uh, Matt, in, uh, in the digital world. You know, uh, Dan mentioned QC, um, and that's super, super important, especially in uh, commercial projects for brands when you're doing a commercial or, uh, or some sort of info- information piece. It's, it's silly things. It's, you're right. It's camera focus, you know, spelling if there's motion graphics or anything like that, lower thirds, um, and, and lighting mistakes or anything like that. And then in the development world, you know, QA, and those two processes – 
are equally as daunting in both uh, industries. Yeah. And I know that, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I didn't expect that sort of thing to be an issue in this industry. And I hate QA. Like I just, it's so daunting because you'll find one issue that will uncover like 75 other issues in development. But yeah. it's the same thing in film where, you know, someone will, they'll want to move a cut but that will change everything from the timing, the pacing uh, of, of animations, music, you know, all that stuff. And it can just – it's the same thing. You, you, you unturn uh, one, one, one little task and it turns into 100 others. It's the same what's, thing uh, in those spots. What's QA, Chandler? Uh, what was it? Quality assurance or something like that, Matt? Yeah. I have no idea what the yeah, – yeah, quality course, yeah. assurance. It's the same thing. It's just checking yeah, it, your work. It's essentially you get the app finally done on your phone. And then you check it for bugs and you say, hey, I want to post a picture – or if for the actually for the Consumer Reports apps is I want to bid on a Roman helmet. Um, oh, no. Sorry. I'm talking about Christie's, which is the other <laughs> projects we did. Uh, Consumer right. Reports. Actually, I wanna... going on at the same time. We had, we had two projects going on at the same time. Was it the auction yeah. house? Like, the like, auction house, yeah. Christie's, yeah. I remember I got a test account. It was like $15 million or something, and I could like bid on all this stuff. So I was like bidding on Roman helmets and, <laughs> and all this crazy thing. And I remember getting a call from uh, the project manager at Christie's calling me being like, did you, did you bid on this, uh, this Roman helmet from you know, <laughs> Roman time or whatever, like $13 million? And I was like, I was like yeah, that was me. He's like, well, there's no way to tell if it's a test account or not. And I was like, oh, my God, did I just bid $13 million on this thing? Like, that's God, great. happening. It's um, like the only person, the person on the other end of that, like the only person bidding against you is Rick Ross. And like Rick Ross, you, you were like bidding up Rick Ross to buy some like stupid uh, expensive piece of shit. Um, oh, my God. It, it's like he's just like bidding stuff and you had the test account. It's like way out of control. Yeah, and that was something we – speaking of QA, there was like no – like there was no guidance as to what you can and can't do with a demo account. Oh, there was nothing. Yeah, you some, could do a some lot could of say stuff. some could say it was the Wild West. Some could <laughs> it, say, it was. No, but the, but the funny thing in film is that film's been around for a long time. I mean, celluloid, the capture capturing things on film, you know, since the eighteen nineties, and there's a process of how obviously it's all changed in the past fifteen years. But relatively, the same processes of how you finish and deliver things are kind of the same, although the medium has changed to digital. But you guys had to kind of invent your own. Like your own QC and your own like you had to sort of invent your own rules of, okay, I finished this app. I think it can take people's credit cards correctly, although it <laughs> stores them somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. But that I don't have access well, to. There, there's this, but I don't know. There's this th- this thing that I'm I'm kind of gravitating towards. Uh, you know, the the longer I'm in this industry and as the technology kind of uh, matures, is that I think that people should be doing if you're making an app. You should tr- you should try to be doing as close to uh, production as you possibly can, because it, it's getting cheaper to be able to build um, like a just a demo HTML thing uh, really easily. And a- actually, like as a product manager, like not as a as a developer that really um, knows how to how to build everything. So like the reason we do wireframes and sketches and all this whiteboarding crap is because it's cheap. Uh, you can it's way easier to argue about. Um, product requirements like that are written down in a uh, in a doc and then sketched out you know with somebody that has a you know, pencil and they're just scanning things or they're they're using a wireframing app and, and the only reason you do that is because it's it's too expensive to actually have a, a developer start coding something and it takes too long but mm-hmm. I think with uh, especially with with most apps 
I think that most of, most of the apps that are out there, and I mean like web or mostly web actually, are are just forms. And like the, the internet is just a bunch of forms for the most part, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is just like there's not a ton of data that that a, a company needs to deal with. You're talking about like thousands of rows, which is like not that that much. So you don't have to worry about like too much optimization. So if for for a lot of companies out there, all they need is just an interface to be able to create forms really quickly, and test that out, and they can do it with like real test data. And they can show it to people in their uh, in their company who aren't developers or like aren't uh, you know aren't savvy at all, and just go, "Is this what you guys want?" And if it's no, you can change the form and and then be on your way. And I'm a big fan of just creating tools that allow you to do that really really quickly, R- like before and like and just skip the whole wireframing part. Yeah, there's a lot of I mean. I think now is is a really good time to be in that in the product development space uh, digitally because there's so many tools out there that facilitate all those tasks that were unknowns when we were doing things. You know, there's there's QA apps, there's project management suites, there's uh, resource management uh, type things, there's apps that and tools that essentially, from what I understand, you know, can can test apps while you're sleeping. You know what I mean? And do all that stuff. Yeah. And back in the day, I mean, back back in the old school. Uh, we had to do that all manually and discover this stuff on our own. I think it, there's so many things out there that have made it easier. And it's the same as I think in the film world. There's so many new technologies and software plugins and all that sorts of sort of stuff that are – it's taking a lot of work away that was mundane or, or time-consuming. And that's great. I mean a lot of people are kind of like against that sort of thing and it, oh, it makes it easier so it's not worth doing. But at the same time, if you're delivering a product and you want someone to be happy with it, I'll take all the tools I can get. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, anyone anyone who says that's an idiot, I would say, because <laughs> I mean, like anyone, because ultimately, uh, and I always say that I sort of do, I do the job of like five people, like ten years ago. If that makes sense, like, I do, yeah. I do, the, I do the job of like five or six people that would have been done maybe like ten, fifteen years ago. But I mean, ultimately, when you're making content, it's all about material. It's about material, and it's about execution. And then, for the most part. And then marketing after the fact, but it's you know it just because you have just because everyone can shoot a movie with their iPhone doesn't mean that that's the future of everything. I mean, ultimately, it has to be about amazing material and amazing execution. So it's not but like Dan. Re- it's remember like, when we were talking about there was that article that was written where it was like every single celebrity has these like After Effects people go back and touch them up. In, in of course yeah and people then this is like blowing people's minds that like you know how there's in photoshop if you have a photo you can like you know remove someone's acne or something like that and then but people are doing this in movies and they're just doing the tedious work of having someone go back and frame by frame remove that zit on their oh, face oh man i had to uh we had one of our guys here he's a compositor and he's so good and so his attention detail is so good he had to remove a um a, I don't know how to say this appropriately. Um, <laughs> it was something on the lip of somebody, um, the CEO of a company, and a herpes, also, <laughs> herpes sore, herpes sore. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah, that'd yeah. be the that'd be the the good way to say it. Yeah. And a uh, a booger hanging out of this guy's nose, <laughs> and he had to go frame by frame and and clean it up. And um, it was for this one video that was being shown at a conference overseas in Asia or something like that. And it took him probably like two weeks to do um, just because there was actually revisions on his 
booger covering up like like literally <laughs> you know like we had to do revisions on it it's like so silly to think about but anyways um you know that sort of thing is very real and people people care about that and luckily we have the tools to do it which is great but you know there's been stories of you know a speck of dust being on a lens in a major motion picture and it costing you know 2 million dollars for them to do the post production to get it out you know they have to go keyframe by keyframe and and fill in yeah. what was behind the dust and that it's crazy, but we we have people ask us to do that stuff all the time. Um, well, Dan, well, it's but just actually, absurd. I mean, good, but but just to address that very quickly because I know Matt, you want to make a point, but like because of because dailies have gotten so good, and because I'm able to to we talked on the last podcast, but how I'm able to watch feeds remotely anywhere of what's being shot, like many times, a better technology solution to the speck of dust on the lens problem because you're not developing film anymore. I, wa- I can watch footage almost instantaneously from any film I'm doing to the point where, like, I would catch that. There was a thing on the last movie where there was one card of footage that was almost lost because two shots were left in the camera at the very end of the shoot. And we were able to recover them because the dailies came out so quick that we were able to get those that those two shots of the one card, although it had been shipped thousands of miles, and we were able to get it and restore those Whereas even like two years ago, we would have been so fucked. And so for every uh, for every like big problem te- uh, technological solution, there are other ones that I use all the time that wouldn't have been around even two or three years ago. Oh yeah, I mean the fact that you can have a DIT on set and actually look at shots and get them like pre-colored um, as you're moving along blows my mind that you know people didn't have this years and years ago. Um, the way it is now. I mean, we just shot a commercial for this really, really cool startup brand um, that is what I, if I told you what this product was, you'd be so mad that you didn't have a uh, more simple idea. These guys make um, t-shirt quilts. Um, you send in your old shirts and they send you back a t-shirt <laughs> quilt and they have sold. Wait, like, what, is, what? I don't, what is it? it yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, it's um, like Uber for t-shirt <laughs> yeah, quilts. It's a, it's a t-shirt quilt. You, basically, you know, you're a kid growing up. You probably save all your old shirts. You don't want to throw away your favorite band shirt, you know, whatever, this or that. Um, T-shirts, like the ones that you wear. And you send them out to this company and they sew it into a T-shirt quilt with like fleece on the back of it. And then they send it back to you and it's all memories and things like that. It's it, – believe me, it sounds silly. Uh, people but when I tell you yeah. When I tell you that they've sold uh, to date I think like thirty five or 40,000 of them. And their average price is probably like two hundred to three hundred bucks. It's not oh, so funny it's anymore. Those those <laughs> assholes. Yeah. No, they're uh... they're so they're like they're so <laughs> chill about it. They're like really cool guys. They're really chill about it. And um, so what was I few, few, pro- few problems in this. I mean, could could all, you be all not? Mads, could you be not all chill Mads, about uh, that? T-shirts. Uh, Oh, wait, how, you, how could you do that startup and not be yeah, about like, it? Yeah, could you be really pretentious about that? <laughs> I know, yeah. but so, so yeah, anyways, yeah, you could, you could be, you could be like the bands. Your childhood was not valid because <laughs> the bands, the bands and the brands. You can't have a bands Baja and Man T-shirt. <laughs> oh, you totally yeah. can. Yeah, I mean, um, but anyway, so we filmed a commercial for them, and it was great because we were able to almost get uh, a whole ton of a whole lot of the um, post production coloring stuff done on set, which was good because. The way that it was shot, you know, we had a very short timeline. We were working with some natural daylight. We had to know in real time, uh, Dan, if we had to reshoot anything, um, if we had to relight anything. And sometimes it's tough when you're shooting and you're looking at your, you know, small HD and you don't have, you know, I don't know what it's called, the LUTs all built into it, you know, because you didn't have time to do it. You, you right. can't look at raw footage and really 
and really really pick it apart. So having someone on set doing that with all the technology there, coloring it, boom, that looks great. Move on. Let's go to the next shot. So it, it just blows my mind about how easy they've made it to do a better job, which is good for everybody. I mean, that's a, it's a win-win for every single person. And I don't care if it if it takes someone's job away because um, at the end of the day, there's going to be more things that crop up that people need to do. Well, it's it's inevitable, and all those things yeah. that you mentioned, like look up as a lookup table that in, informs what the color look uh, on a piece of footage is. But the um, but all those things that you mentioned, they make things easier. But they still, if the original idea and the content and the execution isn't there, yeah, it's not going to make it a, a better a better thing. So I, I use I do a very similar thing where like all this stuff. Uh, there's a, a post house that. Um, I work with a lot uh, in LA. There's a, a process where we we actually go and we predetermine the looks ahead of time. Where we'll go out, and we'll shoot some test footage, or we'll look at footage that we already or we already have, and we'll push. We're like, all right, we want this cool night look, we want this warm day look, we want this flashback look for these scenes. And then when we shoot the film, those looks are pre-applied to footage that I get the next day, and the editor gets, and it's all automated now. You can change them later on, of course, but it just informs the creative that much more. It takes the guesswork, sort of what you guys were talking about earlier, away from the client. Because if the financier or other producers look at it in footage in its rawest state, a lot of times they just can't get past how shitty it looks to even yeah. judge, judge the content. So oh, you're so right, man. I yeah. mean, that that's the thing. It's like it's just like what Matt said. You know, showing someone. Uh, very close to production product. You know, I never want my clients to see raw footage because they can't get it out of their head that it's going to look different for whatever reason. Like unless you're unless you're in the space and you've done this a million times, you know, you can't really look at a shot and go, oh yeah, this is going to look awesome when it's colored because people just don't understand how that works. They don't understand how crazy you can get with it and how different you can look. So just like Matt, when you said it's like if if you can show someone close to production, uh, then that's the best way to go. Cause again, you eliminate all the subjective things that they might have to say that you're like, you know, Dan, I'm sure you do this all the time. You're like, no, but that's not the point. I mean, we're going to change that post to like, you know, the color's going to be different. You know, you can do all those sorts of things. It just blows. It, it blows my mind that, that people can't a see the, you know, imagine the uh transition that's going to happen but again I, I assume that and that's that's dumb of me to do that because I, four years ago i wouldn't be able to even imagine that sort of stuff you know yeah. yeah no i'm guilty of it too matt will tell you on the other side when when uh we created this app called credit scout which was a tax credit uh estimator for all the different places in the u.s that have tax credits and it would take your budget and it would spit out um it was it's sort of like an apples it was trying to achieve an apples to apples um, comp for all of the different tax credits based on single budgets. Anyway, but Matt built this app for me with with my guidance uh, of like the on the number side, and and Matt would say like, look, there's this wireframe like this. The functionality is there. Like we're we're so close. The functionality is there. This does this correctly. I can't believe this works. And I'd be like, yeah, but Matt, it's not shiny yet. And he's and he'd be like, fuck shiny. Like it doesn't, you know. It's, I, it's gonna I would say get that there. That, yeah, that, that's pretty much that's still true today for me. I'm just like, fuck shiny. <laughs> this thing's got to do a job. Like I'm a yeah. You're like it, I'm a very utilitarian person. <laughs> no, yeah, no, for sure. But it's also the thing that you're like, it's it's like us with color correction. It's like it's like this scene works. Like 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 I understand what's happening now. And then somebody would be like, well, it doesn't look that good. It's like, well, no, but that's like it took us. 
this was the hard thing to get to this point. Yeah. Whereas with with the app, it's like it actually works. Like, do you realize how monumentally? Uh, I cannot overstate the importance of the fact that this works. Whereas, yeah, it, it can be designed better. Like, it'll look better, but this works. <laughs> yeah, there are times where I'm like presenting things and I'm like ready to drop the mic, and it's just like crickets because they're just like I think I know what you're saying is going on right now <laughs> and i'm like no like this is awesome fuck yeah yeah and everyone's just like uh i mean i i, I like your enthusiasm <laughs> yeah yeah well, well matt you wanted to talk about to transition a little bit you want to talk about um subcontracting right or what, what what were some of the things that you wanted to get to oh yeah that's that that topic is is uh i love that topic yeah i mean i guess we we kind of we kind of touched on that. I guess one thing I would add is just kind of like if there is no person that's like solely accountable and, and responsible and, and like is an owner for, for whatever the project is, it's just not going to go well. You can't, right. you can't like, you, you can't like sidestep responsibility and be like, Oh, well, you know, it's in the developer's hands now. It's like whatever that developer does, if you're like the project owner, like you're ultimately responsible. If they like get hit by a bus, you're still responsible. It's still your fault. Uh, yeah. And you kind of have to just take that mentality and, and, and like try to prevent anything from happening. Like you, you like make sure that developer stays away from bus stops. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's a, that's an interesting topic conversation. Cause I don't think it's it, the principles between the industries are, are definitely really similar. And, and Dan, I'm sure in the film world, when you're making a movie, you probably crew up. I don't know if you use the same people every time or if you have like a group of people that you pick from or whatever, um, but I'm sure that's kind of what you do. Cause you know, you're, you're on the West coast. That's kind of how things go. You probably have a dozen, uh, lighting crews that you could pick from. I'm sure you have tons of people you can pick from for whatever tasks you need. Um, on our side, when we decided to start this company, um, we wanted to run it like an agency where you have the same amount of, you have the same people, um, almost as if they were developers, Matt, you know, so I have, you know, uh, in-house camera operator, I have an in-house colorist, I have an in-house uh, compositor and all those people. Um, and that's kind of how we want to do it. want to have a team, wanted to grow the team as an agency and sell ourselves as a team of people rather than a bunch of producers that, yeah, yeah, like, you know, we're going to shoot this commercial and then we have a different lighting guy every time or things like right. that. So getting back to agencies, I worked with a bunch of commercial agencies, people who call themselves social media agencies. Uh, I've worked with a bunch of different people who have changed, uh, especially recently, based on technology. What is Indie Whip, and what are you guys? What are, what are you guys all about? So, you know, our definition has changed over time as well. Um, you know, essentially, when we went to start this company, we, you know. My, my partners uh, and I, you know, having conversations about how the film and commercial industry works. And the way it works usually is, um, at least from where we sit, you know, a company uh, will want to film a commercial. They'll find a project manager to own the project and they'll do some research and find a production company to do it. And, uh, you know, the production company will usually have a producer or two. They'll come up with an idea. They'll crew up. And so they'll shoot the commercial and go through it that way. Um, the way that we wanted to do it was we wanted to have a company call us to film a commercial or make a piece of content for them. And our whole thing was everything was going to be in-house. So we'd have strategists rather than producers who would come up with the idea, um, essentially you know, sell the vision of the idea. Then we'd have an in-house uh, creative who would create the storyboards as well as the scripting and in-house copywriter and everything like that, scriptwriter. 
And we do it all in house and we'd go out to the location or we do it here or wherever it may be. If it was just a digital project, you don't need to go anywhere, get the project done and deliver it. Just, it's exactly like the, the model of building a website or an app where, you know, a company is going to hire you to build a website or an app and, you know, your strategist go pitch the idea, go through the scope of work with uh, the client, sign off on it, contract up, and then just get the project going and have a project manager to facilitate the process, update the client, and deliver the project. So it's the same thing here with us. I mean, we have project managers uh, that are keeping our clients up to date and working with their team uh, on the front lines to make sure everything's getting done and everything like that and then communicating back to the client. So we have this, like, agency model. You know, we're not, like um, – you know, a group of three or four producers that just kick around ideas and, and wait for a brand to hire us and then shoot a commercial. We kind of actively suggest ideas uh, with strategy behind it. So, you know, some of our clients have a lot of marketing challenges. Um, Extreme Networks is one of our biggest clients, and they're a, they're a, a data Wi-Fi network provider. They have a lot of software as well as hardware, and uh, they just have a problem because they're a, they're a smaller player in the industry, and they're competing with companies like Cisco. So their challenge is, okay, well, what kind of content do we put out to, um, you know, kind of make it seem like we're a big player and make it seem like, you know, our new products uh, can compete with these guys and they can and everything like that. So our job is to help facilitate those ideas and then get them made. So it kind of started off with the idea that we were going to be, you know, doing a lot more of the strategy stuff um, to facilitate the content. But as we found out over time, especially recently, is that, a lot of these companies already have the ideas figured out internally and they already have kind of almost pre-produced the ideas and we get hired to make it, but also add that little touch to it. We can get a reputation for making ideas better, which is not a bad place to be. Um, but that's essentially what we do. You know, we do all sorts of things. We do a lot of live action stuff, um, a lot of 3d, uh, compositing type things, a lot of post-production work for other projects, like bigger, bigger companies hire us to do that. Um, a lot of motion graphic stuff and a lot of uh, explainer type videos. Even though we're trying to move away from those uh, because they're not they're not that fun to do. Um, but that's kind of what we do. So well, sometimes we a lot a lot of the non sexy stuff pays the bills. You know. Like, yeah, a lot of the non sexy <laughs> stuff pays the bills. I, uh, I want to stick a pin in that right there. It's just like <laughs> that. That is what's so true about about anything yeah the agency i, I model think that's the general. point of this podcast though is, yeah. is to talk about the mundane is to talk about like yeah i mean yeah, i get to go let's, to so let's kind of like continue the conversation stuff, from like before we started recording <laughs> which is like running a business is a huge pain in the ass and it sucks running most of the time <laughs> yeah um and the, the reason why it sucks is because you have so many other issues to think about you know if i was an employee at a company i'd come in do my job have a good time and leave. I mean, that's what you do. You're, you're a worker bee and that's fine. A lot of people like that. Um, some people, you know, like to participate in the company culture and that's great too. Well, when you own a company, you have all those things that you, that I just said, but then you have the, you know, paying the bills, uh, the taxes, the payroll, you know, hiring the right people, firing the right people, you know, stuff like that, that really yeah. adds a whole other hiring level is of so hard. craziness. Like, uh, Especially being at RJ, and we've hired you know tons of people in the last few years. It's it's so difficult. You know, we sit there, we talk about which should we hire these this pe- this person. I'm always sitting there, just like I'm not sure. They seem like a good person, but I have no idea how they're gonna actually gonna play out. 
Yeah, that's very tough. I'm very picky because I it's expensive to hire somebody. Yeah. You know, it's very you have to go through the whole process of finding them, recruiting them, you know, interviewing them, you know, all that stuff. That that's that's fine. I mean, you know, that could be a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever whatever it may be. But getting someone in house and when you hire them, it's not like they just go to work right away and they're super productive at their peak performance. I mean, right. there's there's onboarding, there's, you know, there's that learning curve. They have to adapt to the culture. They have to adapt to maybe new technology or new machines or this or that. And it's a whole thing. I mean, I would say if you hire an employee, they're not going to be at their peak performance for months. And, let's, and let's say they get there and you realize, like, this person's really a jerk. Yeah, they're not the right person. They're on the wrong, uh, like, they're on the wrong bus. You're trip, like, I don't you know? want to fire this person. <laughs> you just spent all this money on this, this person. Yeah. And then it just you're like, all right, I got to fire this person. Yep. And as an owner – uh, firing and hiring becomes even more complicated because you get emotionally attached to people. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, maybe you hire someone who, you know, makes you feel good around the office cause he's funny or she's funny or whatever. But at the end of the day, they're not the right person for the company. Yeah. That's even maybe harder. They're, yeah. They're, maybe they're not fast enough or maybe they're not technically skilled or maybe they, you know, have some sort of other issue. And as an owner, that stuff plagues you. I mean, you go home and it keeps you up at night. You're like, Oh my God, well, what do I do? Do I, do I hire this? Do I fire this person? Do I try to put them on a track for improvement? Oh no. Well, we tried that before. Cause I didn't want to fire them, you know, three months ago. Cause it was kind of, I felt bad about it. It's like, it, those are problems that I guess there, some people would say that they're good to have those types of problems. But again, it's like when people say, Oh, I want to start my own company. I want to run my own company. It's like, Hey man, it's just it's not worth it yeah. if you're not ready for that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, my advice you know? to people is just like if you if you've never done it before, or if you're just you want to start the company because it's like a romantic thing that you you think would be like a, you know a cool thing to say that you're an entrepreneur, just don't do it. Like run a company because yeah. you can't work for anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, and also more importantly, don't if 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 you want to like start. Uh, five like fake businesses yeah. just to have cool names of LLCs. <laughs> don't don't do it. Don't, I'm not saying that, that anyone either. on this podcast has done that. Yeah, uh, yeah don't yeah. do it because all of a sudden you'll have to pay. Uh, yeah, if you live in California, you'll have to pay eight hundred dollars a year in yeah. LLL, LLC random filing fee yeah. for one L- per LLC. Yeah, uh, or it's, it's like three hundred dollars well, in Philly, I, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm out five thousand. Yeah, another thing is just like people are just like, well, I start the business and then I make this app that's such a great idea, and then uh, I think I just get a million dollars after that. Yeah, it's like people. So many people to me think that you know you just start a business and boom, you're you have. You, now you have customers and now you have this and that and it like happens overnight. And I've seen so many people make this mistake where they have a great idea and you know, maybe it's a great idea or not. Who, who cares? And they'll have a full-time job and they'll quit the job, start the business and then fail right on their face. And then they'll have to get a part-time job to support the business and themselves. And then now their goal is so far ahead of them because they, they left too early or they started too early yeah. that it's just – it's like one of those endless cycles and I always recommend to people if they if they're going to start a business, wait and you have a full time job, especially save a bunch of money. You, yeah, save a bunch of money, but wait until you literally cannot do your job anymore at all, like at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, until it until it starts to bleed into your your work and you're hurting other people. You know, like you know maybe you're staying up too late and you can't perform your job at work. Then maybe that's the time to kind of scale back the full time gig. But I've seen so many people jump ship too early. And I tell them, like, don't do it. Like, you're, you are going to fail because businesses don't start and thrive immediately. A lot of people think they do, and it blows my mind yeah. because I was never, 
Educa- I was never told that was true, yeah. and I never assumed that myself. And I don't know why outsiders think well, so. I, Maybe I they think watch be- Wolf of Wall Street I, too many times. I think it's because you, you always hear these uh, news stories about something that seems like an overnight success. And yeah, it, what, yeah, yeah. what happens is it's either not really a success, they're kind of faking it till they make it, and they really don't make any money, they're just getting a lot of press, or that overnight success is 10 years in the making. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a big, that's a phrase that we're going to have Chris Sparling, who's a writer director, uh, recently a director, but has written a bunch of stuff uh, on the podcast soon, and that's his biggest thing is is overnight success, ten years in the making. That's that's such a it's well, especially in in film, uh, and I hate to use the word Hollywood because that mean, people think that means that there's like five people who actually make decisions and that everyone makes the same decision together when they use the term Hollywood. But anyway, but that's especially true in film because. You know, you can do so many things, and and then suddenly, you know, you you hit, hit a tipping point, and then it just pops. But that's like, it, it really just started to happen probably two years ago for me after five or six years of grinding. So that's sort of that's sort of true. Yeah, no, you're totally right, and it's funny because in every, I think Matt, you'll know this, you'll know this quite well. I think in business school, there's a lot of romanticizing about entrepreneurs. Um, that you hear about. You hear a lot about the entrepreneurs that didn't finish high school or didn't finish college. And you have this whole debate of if you're an entrepreneurial person, should you even go to college? Is it worth your time and money and things like that? And you have so many stories of people that didn't that it makes people believe that that's what entrepreneurs do. And like, you know, you hear about all these crazy struggles and, you know, you know, uh, rides to success to the top and everything like that. But you never hear about the people that just did it, you know, naturally or organically or took their time and didn't maybe didn't have a crazy struggle or or maybe did graduate college or maybe did graduate grad school and is still a successful entrepreneur. I think there's like this whole like romantic um like false kind of storytelling that goes on in the entrepreneurial space and, and in the film world as well that like it just where are those stories that like aren't that sexy but can still motivate someone because exactly. a lot of people like I would be just as happy. Like I'm in tech mainly because when I was a kid, it was the easiest thing for a kid to get into because no one knew what was going on. It was pretty easy to pick up because there wasn't that much you could possibly learn about HTML uh, at the time, and and I just kind of like stuck with it. But for me, you know, if I was like if I owned a tree trimming business that pulled in like twenty million dollars a year and had you know a hundred people working at the the place and you never even knew who I was or didn't know my name. Like I would be perfectly happy. Yeah. Like, yeah I, totally. I have no desire to be Mark Zuckerberg. I have no desire to be Steve jobs. Like, <laughs> yeah, I really, yeah. it's it actually, I would, I would hate to do that. <laughs> I, I kind totally of blame, agree. I blame montages. I blame montages and movies for this problem because I think <laughs> it, because, because, because in our stories, well, it's the only way to get things done. But if you look at origins, any really any movie. So not to go, not to become like the structure maniac, but generally after what we call the first act turn, which is around thirty pages into the movie, you you have the point where the protagonist has made the decision to do what they're doing, and at that point, generally you'll have what's called the fun and games uh, section, and the fun and games section. Um, is generally where you have people. It's the, that's the montage. So in Wolf of Wall Street. Oh yeah, that's a great fu- montage. The office just changes like in four sure. seconds. Yeah, it's so good. Right. So in Wolf of Wall Street, a recent example. You referenced Wall Street, but we'll we'll update that a little bit. You know, basically he takes over the penny stock firm and he revolutionizes the penny stock firm. But 
what you don't you see then the fun and game section, which is a lot of the stuff that's in the trailer of the movie, is the transition between taking the penny stock firm to when it became the huge company he had. And so, but that was probably like three years of time. But mm-hmm. people, I blame so. Well, I don't. I don't blame montages. I blame stupid people. But like that's in in any movie, the actual growth and development <laughs> like of a character is. is actually all the work is in the fun and games section of the movie, which is between pages thirty and forty. And so that's usually like years of time. Uh, but you don't in real life. That's that's why people think they can just like take shortcuts because that's really what you put the work in. And then things finally happen. So yeah, I uh, I'm huge. I get turned off really easily when I t- talk to people that think that there's a lot of shortcuts to take in life. And and Matt, you know this. As soon as you have an app company or you're making websites, everyone you talk to suddenly has an awesome app idea that you have to hear, and they're all terrible. Yeah. And none of them make sense. And then they're like, "Well, where would I like get money for this?" Or like, you know, I think Facebook would totally buy this for like a couple million dollars at least. And you're like. Where are you getting this? Like, where are these stories coming from? Like, A, that's not how it works. But B, it's like, you know, like, who is giving you the motive? Like, who is encouraging you on this? Because your idea is so bad or like, that's not how I, especially it's not how it works. Like, people just don't get it. It's the movies. It's the media that makes it seem like things are super easy to do. What's and the sh- worst pitch? Let's do a quick, quick round table. What's the wor- worst, worst pitch you've ever uh, got, Chandler? Oh, here you can go ahead, Chandler. No, no, I, uh, I don't, I'll, I'll think of one. Uh, There's this, like five of them that are that are yeah, classic. I'll do a couple rapid ones. Uh, one is I'm at the pizza shop, and the pizza guy is just like, he looks around first to make sure no one's listening. He's like, listen, it's Facebook for dogs. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you mean like dog book? Like they have that. And he was like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, yeah, it's dog book. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> but he was so it's afraid. That he, just... he was when he went in the back and just hung himself. Uh, the other like, one is oh. the five phone calls and at least five that was just like Matt. This is when chat roulette. Uh, as you're Dan, you're very uh, uh, you know all about chat roulette, but his morbidly morbidly aware Matt of chat. D- date date roulette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one of the one of the, like it's interesting because this one actually has a product that came out of it. Um, and it wasn't a pitch to me, but but someone was talking about their friend that was developing this app. And essentially what it is, it's like Instagram, but you challenge people to do things and you earn points. And, uh, you know, this uh, okay. my friend was like, yeah, they're going to make millions of dollars and, you know, it's going to be great. And I was like, well, that's not how it works. I mean, the way it works is that you spend millions and millions and millions of dollars obtaining users somehow, yeah. whether – you know, uh, user acquisition, and then it has to get momentum organically, and then maybe it's time to think about how do you monetize that whole thing, and that's how you have yeah, a very people successful. People greatly underestimate the network effect that is like necessary for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, yeah. you mentioned it last week, Matt, about Mark. You know, a few weeks ago, you were like actually making. If I if I had an app idea that was like Tinder but for for shopping, so you could like swipe left or that was we were sort of joking about that, and I was like, all right, and you were like, I could probably make that in about you know, five weeks or whatever it is, but, or faster, but it's like the marketing, like you, everyone just assumes you're going to have a, it's like in Hollywood, everyone assumes they have a great screenplay and they're like, all right, well, if, if only the right person saw this. And it's like, no, if only you had, if only you were talented, it's like, if, yeah. it's only if, if only if you had something good, uh, it, you were talking about how in apps, it's like the, the right marketing and, and the network effect, which is something that's completely un, 
you know, uh, usually untenable and just un, you know, figure outable in terms of how to actually do that. Uh, that's the real difficult part of the equation. Yeah, it's like it's like the tipping point book and, and things like that where, you know, studying how something becomes popular, you know, yeah, there's a lot of organic popular things that have happened in our lifetime and pop culture and everything like that that is completely organic. Um, and that's great. But then you have a lot of these other things that on the surface it might seem organic, but there's a whole marketing engine behind these yeah. things that make these things popular. And a lot of people, you know, they they don't realize that. They don't understand it. They just think that if you build it, they will come. And that's the thing. It's, I've heard this quote a lot lately. And there's a lot of people with ideas and they're like, well, you know what? Um, our competitive advantage is that we don't have any competitors. And it's like my answer to that is always or my response to that is, well, if you don't have any competitors, then there's no market for it. Because <laughs> best you know, place to open a Korean restaurant is next to a Korean restaurant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, uh, it, it, oh, man. It just, it, everyone, it, oh, Dan, I, I can't even imagine how many people go, oh, dude, I got this idea for this movie. Oh, it's all me. It's, like, it's usually just me. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's usually Matt. But no, here, it's actually, it's my, uh, my, I'm trying to think what his correct title is, but my, my step uncle in law, Dennis, I, I, he, <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 great. He always has lots of ideas, and he he's he's usually like because you know what the problem is. He claims that he invented. He claims that he had the idea for Pawn Stars, like the Pawn Shop Show, and that they stole it from him. Like that's yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that's that yeah. He's, he's campaigning right now to to try to you know have something yeah, happen pe- there. People always <laughs> yeah. overestimate the novelty of their ideas as well. Like yeah. Oh, and it's the worst too when you're like, well, that's what Uber does. So or like that's what X Y Z does, and then they're like, oh, really? I didn't. I didn't know. I'm like, did you Google your idea? Like, did <laughs> well, you research at all? Because yeah, there's a hundred apps that already do that. So go on. Well, yeah. I was thinking my the worst pitch. I, this actually probably doesn't sound like the worst, but this is sort of a whole. This is like a whole category of bad pitches that I'll, I'll sort of mention. Is when people say it's like when people forget that actors or directors or, or talented people, what drives them after they've reached a certain echelon. It might not be money, right? It might be money, but who knows? What, what drives them is doing new and interesting things um, because that is what drives a lot of successful people is not doing the same thing over and over again. And so what people – a bad pitch that I'm also – I'm often uh, given is when people say, oh, well, you know that big actor who just did this? This movie is just like that. I'm sure they'd really like it. And it's like, you're like, no, that's the, like, what do you, like, do you have any clue about what you're talking about? So it's like, yeah. it's that sort of, it's that whole category of, it's, oh, this person just did this movie where it was this transformative role where they almost died of cancer and this happened. Like, I have a movie that's just like it. They'll love it. And it's like, you're, you're an idiot. That's, that's sort of like, the, <laughs> like, like, you don't, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, like uh, if someone were to pitch another Wall Street movie to Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, I don't think he would take it no matter how good the script was, only because it's the same fucking thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, god damn it. Oh. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like yeah, yeah you, you, did, you did all right with that. This, that, this is like the, that, the generic <laughs> It's like that, but better. Yeah. The generic Philly response. It's like, yeah, you, you know that movie that, uh, yeah, you, you did all right with that, but you know, this one, it's, it's kind of the same thing, you know, maybe, maybe you'd like My it. My mother loves it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, you saw that, uh, I saw on the Netflix, you know, uh... Anyway, uh, oh, we got so trying, sidetracked there. <laughs> trying to piss off as many people as possible. Uh, but, uh, oh, fuck. We're <laughs> no, it's just but, like the, I think the thing we're talking about is just like the idea is like less than 1% of the whole thing. And I think it's also, it's like 
with with uh, with companies in general, like even if you want to be an entrepreneur, it's just like it's the it, it's not just the one thing is where you you build a company that goes to infinity and IPOs or something like that. Like there, there's so much bullshit that comes along with having to build that kind of company. Like you, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that in tech actually because that's because to me well, there's this whole you, there's this whole like bootstrappers kind of movement, um, right. That is really just about like build a uh, build a company that makes you uh, six figures a year and then stop like just maintain right from there, and which is has its pros and cons. Like on the one hand, it's like you might be building an app that's like somewhat valuable to about a thousand people, and that revenue stream could go away at any moment if you don't like keep innovating. So there's that, there's that aspect of it. But then there's a positive aspect of it. It's just like how much money do you possibly need? Like if you made six figures of income and you're only spending like five to ten hours a week on on maintaining that, then that's like pretty awesome. You can do whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm. And that, that, see, that seems too logical. Do, do, here, here's my that, that seems too pragmatic. It <laughs> seems like you'd be happy. That seems like someone who'd be happy owning a, a large uh, tree trimming company. As you, uh, it doesn't sound like the killer uh, Matt Monahan that I know. He, 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 he always, always, you always want more, though. You know, yeah. it's it, it's it's one of those things where you think about it. You know, when I think about our company and I think about how much I want to grow it, how far I want to grow it. I don't, I don't know, and it's not like I don't have like a money metric in my head or anything like that. I, I used to have like an employee metric. I'm like, you know what? It'd be cool to have like 20 people, uh, company going on. But like, what does that even mean? Yeah, I, and it's, it's just things where my, my that philosophy means more. That means more Obamacare money. I yeah, that, like, I would not want to. <laughs> let's not. Yeah, let's have his little cult, overhead. Culture as changes drastically, <laughs> and you suddenly have like a whole part of your uh, work, uh, like a whole bunch of tasks that you need to do just to maintain culture. Like it, yeah. it changed drastically. Well, not it didn't change drastically, but we had to put in a lot of work to maintain culture from twenty people to a hundred. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. And in my my philosophy on the whole thing is is you know I don't I in my last company that I exited I didn't have a planned exit date. It's one of those things where it's like if or I didn't have an end game either. And I I you know you always consider the possibilities. Oh, we get bought out, we sell, we get investors, or this or that or whatever. Same thing here. It's like if it's not fun, if like yeah. it, every day can't be amazing, but if I wake up and I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore because I'm just not feeling it anymore. Then that's then that's the last yeah, day. Yeah, I remember you telling me that like three or four years ago. You're just like that's the day that I would quit if you just you're just not having fun anymore, and it, you keep saying that over and over for a few yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that that the whole exit of uh, of my of my last company is a whole it's a whole another podcast right there. It's like a serial podcast or whatever that. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, let's let's finish on on uh, on building to exit because it seems like and Matt, you always make fun of the film industry for well for many reasons. But if I had to define tech, it is okay. This is. Well, not all of tech, but sort of building a company from scratch and then selling it. And I'm not trying to make fun of people that you've worked with before. I think we all know who we're talking about. But it seems as though come up with a plan, whether it's an app or a service or something, put just enough into that that you build build some sort of momentum or client base or whatever. Neglect It's sort of like the dentist system. Like neglect, <laughs> neglect – Right, it's sort of the dentist system from Always Sunny, but for that, that's how I view tech. It, well, Neglect I think it's more just everything that doesn't matter. Try and build it up, pump and dump, and get the fuck out. That <laughs> yeah. is my main que- critique of, yeah. of of tech. Am I would I, just call I that wrong? parts of neglect. I would just call that question mark, like in in South Park, <laughs> and then just 
profit. <laughs> someone, uh, someone mentioned to me a couple weeks ago. I was I was talking to someone about uh, actually the person who owns our building is very 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 successful entrepreneur, and I was talking to him about some advice I needed in terms of you know. Um, do we scale like really quick massively and and try to lock down like bigger brand accounts with some of these huge agencies that are that we're working with or do we just keep doing what we're doing and trucking along see what happens organically and he asked me what the end game was and I said you know I, I don't know I, I don't I don't know what it was and he said my advice to you and he's sold like he's I mean millions and millions and millions of dollars this guy's crazy he's just like the oldest guy and has the worst advice, but you know I trust people like that because he has obviously done something right, and he's not just lucky. Um, he said the day you want to exit and leave, and the day it's easiest to sell your company or find someone to take it over, or whatever is the, is when you're the happiest. And that's the thing. It's like when I think thought about that, I'm like, wow, you know what? You're so right because when you're in that negative, when you're looking for an exit, how how do you sell someone the dream if you're at, if you're the one that's looking for the oh, exit? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think the dream of, of starting a company, an app, a website, whatever, a service, building it up and selling it, that's, that's really not, that's like almost going too far. I think if you get to the point where you're like, this is the best thing ever. It's going so well right now. Everything's like well, well, machine people are happy. We're making tons of money, this and that. That's when you go. That's when you, that's when you have to like know to pull the ejection thing and be like, you know what? I got to get out of here because it yeah. only gets worse from here. You well, know, it only goes It's really down, easy you know? to prove. Like, it, it's, the different people have different uh, priorities, so it's really easy if your company's doing really well to, to say to somebody like, "Look at the numbers. Everything's doing really well. You can hang out at the office. Everyone is like works well together." Uh, I just don't want to take this company to the next level because, like, I don't think that's not where my priorities lie. You do. Well, how? Why wouldn't you want to buy this from me? Yeah. Yeah. Or bring, or even like so, there comes a point where you take it as far as you can get to, and if you brought in someone else, and that, you know that's one of those things. It's a pride thing, you know. It's like it's like when you bring in a CEO, or you're you're replacing yourself essentially, and you're you're going to move over to like a VP role, and then you're going to bring in a CEO who's going to take it, you know, to the next level. That's that's a another situation where you have to be so honest with yourself and so yeah. humbled and everything like that to be able to bring in an, a CEO. And and totally you know revamp your business and hand them the keys essentially, that's a crazy moment as well and that's that's something where I don't feel I feel like people don't realize especially the, the aspiring entrepreneurs that that's a very real thing like you might have a great idea and everything but you can't run a company yeah. for shit yeah and uh, you might not be the right person to drive the bus and there's nothing wrong with that if your skill set is an idea and you just can't run the company but you find someone that does. And you're making tons of money. Like, who cares? You know, like, what? What's the pride thing? That's. Would you rather drive it into the ground or have someone else do it for you and make way more money? You know, it's like. As the lesson I've learned is, as long as you're not Eduardo Saverin, and uh, <laughs> don't get Eduardo. He did, he, well, except for he did. He did all right, right? He got. Uh, didn't he end up with like one percent of the company or something? Yeah, he sued his way like, into, into millions of dollars. I mean, yeah. Justin Timberlake, whatever his name is, uh, did okay. Sean, but, Sean uh, Parker, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, I love, this, I love associating like, people with, the like, thing is, it's, <laughs> wait, you it's like, Joe, Jonah Hill, can you run the baseball team? I was just in that movie, guy. I don't know. Most people know can't even that, relate uh, to those characters. You can't be like, oh, well, you know, if, I, if it were me. It's just like, well, did you go to Harvard and have a ton of money uh, saved up from your, your like, uh, weather futures? And have parents that have lawyers. It's just like you're not going to sue Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> like, yeah. unless you you fit that whole like model of having all this money to, to throw at the Again, problem. That that's another movie that romanticized the whole startup thing yeah. and also had a pretty 
pretty similar montage to Wolf of Wall Street, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, you know, you, they have the tiny office. They grow and grow like for like a minute. And then, uh, you know, now you're into the fun and games. But, um, again, it's just like there's – I think there's a lot of, of fake stuff that's said and talked about. But you know what? Why though? I think it's because it's interesting. People like to dream. Yeah. And that's why we see so many people try to – you know, I, I mentioned on – you liked my, my tweet the other day, uh, Matt. I was like 2015 is the year of the pyramid scheme. <laughs> I have so many friends on Facebook that are selling – you know, nutritional supplements are selling wraps, like body wraps for whatever that they do. They're selling, you know, uh, nails, those, those fingernail sticker things. And so many people are like, join my team. Like I, my upline, my downline, all this stupid pyramid scheme stuff. And I feel like people like, (laughs) I just think, I just think of the always sunny episode about, about pyramid schemes. I can't, I can't, uh, it, well, is that our scheme of the week? Is, is the pyramid scheme? Did you want to go and go, go in depth about? Oh my God, we, we covered the Nigerian four nineteen scheme, which is one uh, of our. No, our, these are very they're very favorite. real. It's it's not pyramid. It's um multi level marketing stuff, and I feel like it kind of goes hand in hand with the media. There's a lot of a lot of people want to get rich quick, take shortcuts, and things like that. And there's these companies that I I wish I could come up with a company like this. Because it's just a money making machine. It's it's actually almost similar to how CrossFit works, where you know you have to license the CrossFit name, and it's like five grand a year to license the name, and then you have to take the courses, and you have to take like supplemental courses every year, and it actually costs a ton of money to run a CrossFit gym. Um, whereas it should it should just be about the fitness um, routine and not the brand, and and that's a little crazy. But these people, you know. Uh, selling their nutritional supplements, get people to sign up under them, and then you have to buy the the starter kit, which is like five hundred bucks, and then you take the starter kit to understand the product, and then you have to sell that to people. That's that shit just like blows my mind about how how many people like uh, flock to that sort of thing and think it's like um like a, well people love like a life changing thing. People love certainty because people if they see someone else that went that bought that thing and is doing pretty well they're like well all i need to do is buy that thing yeah i mean yeah and people yeah. love to be a part of yeah something. and people people yeah. subtly like structure as much as independence mm-hmm. and everything else and I'm not talking it's, like politically but i think it's, there, people love being part there are of products and stuff out there that are that, that can fit into that model that are actually good it's just you have to constantly reassess where it's just like is the value i'm delivering uh, from the product that I'm selling, or is the value that I'm like I'm getting money for just allowing somebody else to sell the product? And w- when it's yeah. the latter, it's, you're like, this is a pyramid screen. Like this, that's when this is like is not when you're actually not selling any real value. You're just selling someone on, on how to do exact on how to sell what you're selling. So yeah, an example of that was just like you know I was I was like we're making a podcast. I mean, what are the people who who do podcasts? Like, do they make money? Like, or how do they how do they expand their their base? And I was looking at this one guy, and he like posts how he makes money exactly, and <laughs> he makes money by t- by teaching people how to podcast. And <laughs> that's awesome. And I, I, I kind of like I'm like, all right, a golf clap for that. And I'm like, he makes <laughs> makes a bunch of money, and he, his his um advice is good, but it's just like, well, isn't there like. A, a, a way to deliver value that isn't just teach someone how to do what you're doing. That's not actually delivering value itself. Yeah, I, I don't know. That falls into the if you can't do teach category for me. Yeah, I mean, especially as, some, as someone who just does not care at all 
about uh, financially benefiting from this uh, this operation. I, yeah, the, I mean, I, kind of I, I throw it out there. People are just like, were you trying to make money? I'm like, well, if there's an opportunity, sure. I mean, like, we do this Actually, because this is, uh, this is interesting to me and I have fun doing it. But, like, if, if there's an opportunity to make money, sure, yeah. I, I, it's, it's actually the, it's, it's, it's an hour and a half each week where you don't spend money. So that's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, yeah. So you could be at drinking somewhere just spending like 40 bucks at a bar or you could be doing this. Um, it's about the network. And so, uh, yeah. we can't talk about it on the podcast, but, uh, you know, we are, we're starting a secret society is what we're doing. Oh, hell yeah. And, secret and, societies are all the rage right now for sure. There's going to be and, – and you know what we're going to do? A la CrossFit, we're going to license. We're going to franchise that. And then uh, you won't be able to sell access. You'll be selling the right to join the, the local version of whatever the secret society – anyway. Oh, that's I'm so into that. Yeah, it sounds, sounds great. Sign me sounds, up. This sounds a lot like Scientology. Again, we've, we've sort of got back yeah. to that a little bit. Well, I'm calling it right now. It's the year of the multi-level marketing. You know, it's a it's a brand movement too. That that stuff is going to be it's going to be big. You're going to have a lot of these group um, kind of marketing mentality type things going on. Yeah, and I, I'm seeing it. So, I'm seeing so much of it. It's like scaring me, and I'm like very worried about what this means for people and their definition of success and how they get there. Because it's a lot of shortcuts. It's a lot of you know recruiting people, and I think that's very cult like. And I think that. It, it scares me because I feel like people are better than that, and it boggles my mind how I'm like, how do you are you not seeing this? Like, if you look at some of these videos of them talk, the people that are part of these companies talking about it, and they're drawing out how everything works, they're literally drawing a pyramid, like, <laughs> like 100 drawing a pyramid. It's like that episode of The Office when he's talking about the phone cards, and he draws it, and then the guy goes up and like draws a uh, triangle around it, and he's like, you know, hey, you're you're part of this pyramid scheme. It, I'm seeing it all the time. And it's it's really frightening me because I just think it's it's out of control. Yeah, because eventually whatever the pyramid is usually implodes on itself and leaves everybody just like. Yeah, you know. these people spent so much money like investing in these things, and you know you see Herbalife that was huge last year with uh, that investor Ackman, you know shorting shorting yeah. it like another, and uh, he gave like a six hour presentation about why it's bad, and you do the research on these things, and you're like, holy crap, this is really going on, and it's legal like that. It makes the Wolf of Wall Street look like you know child's play compared to these people taking advantage of these these other people signing up for these things and paying money to be a part of it. And it scares uh, me. It scares me mainly, and this is a whole other episode of the, it's called the, the Grumpy Old Men episode of like where we complain about our generation and what the hell they're doing. <laughs> but it it, it um it, all the people that I see doing it because I actually now you, I didn't even I didn't even realize what that was, but now that you mention it, I actually do see a lot of people on on Facebook trying to hawk different crap like that and it's like just people who don't really work or do anything and it's like it it kind of goes back to the whole like what does our generation actually create and i know a lot of a lot of the people we associate with are entrepreneurs and doing their own thing and actually uh, you know actually well kind of making stuff but i feel like there's i feel like a large percentage of our generation uh is sort of caught up in those kind of schemes or even even subtly even if it's not that kind of thing is sort of caught up in that that kind of mentality yeah i think it it, i think i think face facebook and like instagram and stuff i don't think it's the cause i think it's just like there's a symptom where you just you see if you if you just look at your feed like half of it is like people are getting married people are on vacation uh people are having these like 
uh, life events at like, at breakneck speed, just constantly. There's an Onion article that was just like, um, local area <laughs> woman needs to stop having life events. <laughs> and it's just, oh, man. and it makes you feel like, oh crap! Like I I need to uh, adjust my life so that I'm putting out the same level of like awesome life events that are happening to me all the time. And it's and because of that, it becomes more about like people's perception of like what your work is like and the, and the stuff that you're doing uh, instead of instead of you just kind of like internally being like, all right, well, what actually makes me happy? And like, let me just do that and fuck everybody else. Yeah. I think there's a difference between subtle self-promotion. You know, I, I post things like, Hey, like this week's been awesome at Indie Whip or, you know, got a big pitch coming up and that's, that's cool. I think that, I think that's appropriate. It's when you take it too far where every day you're recapping your day. You're like, you know, I work, I work 80 hours a week, so I don't have to work 40 and you know, it's all about the hustle every day, you know, all the hashtag, you know, grind until I die. Like, Stuff like that. It's like what? What? Well, what is... clearly you've been following my my my, my feed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm actually I'm... reading off the screen right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big like don't don't work eighty hours a week unless like unless you like doing it. Like it's not. Yeah. It's to me like I work forty hours a week, maybe fifty, and I I try to kill it in those hours and then decompress for the rest of that time. Like I don't. Yeah. It's it's not uh, it's not romantic to me to to work yeah. eighty hours a week. For me, I I mean I'm I don't have any hobbies and what I like to do is work and but I don't I don't go talking about it to people saying oh I work so much like I I have Indie Whip I teach um, MBA MBA classes um, online for two universities and some marketing and entrepreneurship uh, seminar things that I do and then I help um, you know my little sister out with one of her companies. And I work so much and I don't really sleep that much. I stay up really late, but I don't go around showing it off like it's something I'm proud of. I just do it because I don't have any hobbies and I just, you know. <laughs> yeah, like our hobbies are creating businesses. Like that's what's so yeah, funny. I, I, I have no – like, you know, I'm getting more into watching interesting TV shows now that I wouldn't normally watch and things like that. But like, you know, I study the stock market a lot. I do things that make me happy. Um but I don't brag about it. I don't like. I don't post the number of hours I worked per week on Facebook because I think it's just silly. It's like I'm more focused on on me, my my network, my community now um, than than telling people about it because I feel like it's just. I just. It's isn't it like weird, like a weird thing to see these statuses about people like bragging so much. It's like, dude, no one cares, man. Like everyone's working that much right now. Come on, like times are tough, you know. Yeah. Just. It freaks me out. It's well, weird. I think that there's another side of it. It was where the people who are just, you know, they're going to their 40-hour week, you know, regular desk job that they maybe they hate. And I think a lot of it is they focus all of their attention on just when's that next vacation? Like, what am I going to – how am I going to get fucked up this weekend? And then, like, yeah. they start to think to themselves, like, you know what? This kind of sucks. Like, I don't want to keep going out every weekend and spending all this money. I'm getting older. And that's that's the people that I really, like, sympathize for because it's just like – that's just there's like a lack of purpose. They're, they're. I think the the term and I've used this in the description of this podcast. Like the term work life balance is like really misleading. Where it's just like you spend eight hours of your day doing something and you do it like five days a week. That is your life. Like that's a major portion of your life. Yeah, it's huge, like, huge percentage. You can't just you know? be like, oh, this is my work and it sucks and I don't want to do it. And then there's like there's my life outside, and it's like. And it's you have these short bursts of of leisure or these bursts of like excitement around the things you want to do outside of that. It's just like no, you need to make the thing you're doing most of your time 
the important thing in your life. And if it's not, get yeah. the hell out of there. It's- oh yeah, that 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 bothers me a lot when I see people complain complain about their jobs or talk shit about their their workplace and things like that because it's it's almost like they talk about it for attention because really the easiest thing to do in the world is to quit your job or you know whatever it's like make a change. And so many people, when you ask them, well, well, then why don't you quit? Why don't you find a new job? And they'll give you a laundry list of excuses why they won't do it. And then it's like, well, then stop complaining about it because if you're not willing to change, then you don't deserve to complain about it. So yeah, we're seeing we're going to see a lot of that this year, I'm sure, uh, coming up. You know, a lot of people complaining about stuff. I hate that. Well, I mean, I started seeing that with it was just it would be like a, a local news story. It's just like guy with with English degree can't find a job in his field and it's like well i think if, if you're you got an english degree you probably should be able to write pretty well and if you could write pretty well you can get a job doing whatever the hell you want if we write this script that they're reading on the tv right now yeah. you know yeah it's just like oh, what you man. wanted to be an english professor and like that was the only thing you could do and now the market for english professors is, is like really tough like yeah just do anything do anything else like if you're if, if you have like a, if you can write if you can write at all it's I, I think it's um it's unacceptable for me just for someone to be like I can't get a job. Yeah, and the, you know what the other funny thing is too is I've met so many people that have gone to school for these very specific things, but they're in completely different industries and they love it and they're yeah. actually really good at you it. You don't know. And it's like, you might hate that thing that you studied. Yeah, it's like who cares? Like you know, I've met some of the more creative and technical people I've met. You know, I'm like, oh, did you go to school? Just curious. They're like, oh yeah, I went to school for psychology and religious studies, and it's like, oh. What are you doing? You know, uh, you know, building this software, or doing this that, this thing, and they're like, I don't know. I just found it one day. I liked it, and I did it. And it's like, I so many people. I feel like their college degree is like a gift certificate <laughs> to go do something in that field, and uh, it's just silly to to talk to people and see some of these really successful people what they did in the past, and it's like, holy crap! Well, you made a change, and you know, you didn't you didn't stick to the what you learned, but you're doing something and you're good at it. So who cares? Why question it? You know. Yeah. Well, I think we could talk for 15 episodes. It's been yeah, uh, yeah, it's, getting the wrap it up light. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like you're getting the hook, getting the hook at the Apollo. It's what's happening. You know, the, you're getting thrown off stage. Um, <laughs> no, I think no, no. I think uh, this will probably be our longest. But I mean, we could we could talk for years. I mean, we yeah, could talk you, for, can, you can cut we, it we, up. We could literally talk for decades about 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 nothing and a few and yeah. and, and a few important things. We but no, be, I mean, uh, this, I'll be the Seinfeld guest where you just have me on and we just we just kind of free flow and talk about nothing. And that's every other month you do an episode with me, and it just becomes the most random, arbitrary episode of all time. No, no <laughs> or, structure. Deal. You, you, or you could be the Brian Cranston who was randomly on Seinfeld and then became Walter White. So just, <laughs> just to take that. A little bit further, but no, man, it's been awesome. Uh, great to have you on the podcast. We'll have you back soon, and um, thanks to everyone for listening. Awesome, cool. yeah. You guys have a great weekend. My tasks for the rest of the day: I'm trying to find a magician for my friend's <laughs> birthday party tonight. So, uh, if you know anybody, uh, give me give me a shout, give me a text. I'll make it happen. If, if only if only there was an app for that. <laughs> Uber, but for magicians for parties. Perfect. <laughs> I'm gonna get to work on it right now, Matt. Let's make it happen. All right, All right. later.